It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our weekly gathering of IOs, HRs, recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just that little bit better. Uh, Dr. Destiny, we are going to be talking today about developing a career path in IO psychology, navigating opportunities and transitions. But before we do, (laughs) great three-day convention last week. Um, a lot of fun. A lot of people joined us. Uh, now, if people missed it, that content is going to be available, I do hear. It is going to be available. Give us a few more weeks. We're working on the back end. We want to make sure that when we provide it, that it can be, you know, translated to podcasts and to YouTube and to our website. So that takes some time. But it was a phenomenal event. And it was phenomenal because so many people came to it, participated, and were willing to share and engage and and really just be part of it. That was why it was so phenomenal. So I really appreciate all of the support that we got from that event. And just like last week, if you'd like to join the conversation, just raise your hand and we'll try and get to you. All right, let's get starting. So we talked a lot about developing your career path in IO psychology uh, last week during the sessions. So where are we going to head with it today? Well, since a lot of people may not have actually been able to listen in or were part of that conversation, I do think we should start at the foundation um, and maybe share some of the tidbits that maybe we even kind of shared previously um, in that in that chat. But basically, you know, uh, the idea here is we all know because we're experiencing it if we're in the field that it typically is a challenging field to really find a job in. Um, if you are, you know, going for that golden star, if you are going for that IO psychology, um, you know, title. But we've talked a lot about the translatable and transferability of the skill sets, the knowledge, skills, abilities, competencies that we all have from, you know, our and our love honestly, for the field, right? Our love for the field is very transferable too, because we find so many things that have frustrated us along the way, or that we can see potential in along the way, where we we always want that opportunity to speak up in a workplace. Right. And so I feel like our field gives you that opportunity to speak up in a workplace, or to kind of, you know, uh, maybe if you don't feel comfortable speaking up in a workplace, kind of planting the seeds, Right. And so uh, and I always call it the IOE stuff, doing the IOE things or all of these IOE things that you've already done and translating it into it. So it's about really just understanding what you can move forward with what you already have and not always chasing that gold IO psychology role. And a lot of job postings that are looking for people to do IOE stuff um, aren't listed as an IO psychologist like they're under other job titles, are they not? Yes, they are. Uh, In fact, um, I've shared a couple of times and uh, I'll continue to share and please continue to share in your own networks, but shared an entire like compilation of 
different job titles. And I joke and I call them sexy job titles because that's what kind of what they are. (laughs) You know, everything from like human capital management, you know, professional. And I feel like Tom could probably say these so much more sexy than me. But, uh, you know, everything from just your basic consultant roles to your, you know, anything that really has to do with an organization and transformation and change management. Also, there's a lot of change management roles. Uh, one of the you know titles that a lot of these larger consulting organizations like to use, for example, is like organizational transformation and change management consultant. Like, like how sexy does that sound, right? But the truth is, it's very IOE, um, and they don't always understand the the connection there. A lot of organizations don't understand the connection there, and it's our job to kind of help them understand that. Yes, we can fill roles in any industry, in any organization of any size. Um, and we can really play a part in helping you move things forward. Yeah, we've really got to share that knowledge out there. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. I agree 100% with everything that Dr. Destiny was saying. There is a wide variety of IO roles, but very few of them actually use that term, especially in the title. And I think this relates a bit to the conversation we're having last week about the importance of forming your niche because I think that really supports you when you're going to the job market. So me personally, I'd be looking for jobs that feature leadership development, facilitation, creation of new content and training curriculum related to leadership competencies, things like that. That's going to be very specialized. But if you are an IO that's very into data and helping organizations to cultivate data insights, use data better. You might be looking for a research scientist role. You might go many different directions. So I think you have to be very open to exploration. One thing that I have found useful in this journey, though, is sometimes using industrial organizational psychology. And then if you're searching, for example, on LinkedIn jobs, you might get paired with jobs that require that as an educational background. So that is one time when it works if they specifically know that they want an industrial organizational psychologist. I also think that is good because if they know they want one and then you apply, there's already a good match. But it can be kind of an interesting journey to embark on. Yeah, it certainly can. And I think we have a list now at CBOC of, I think it's close to 100 niches that IO psychologists can get into. So it's sort of like a buffet, you know, once you've got that piece of paper that, you know, gives you your degree, um, it's time to decide what you'd like to select from the table. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. Yeah, this is always such an interesting conversation and it comes up so often. And, you know, I guess it's the joy of being the part of the oldest, you know, profession no one's heard of. Um, But I've also heard a lot of people that give like hard advice, like, you need to do this. And so for any of you out there who are trying to find your way, you know, students, new career, uh, I want to emphasize that your journey is your own. And nobody gets to make those decisions but you. So anybody who tells you you should or you have to, you just go ahead and tell them where they can get off the bus and you keep on trucking. So with that said, decide what you want to do. Do you want an I.O. position or do you want to do I.O.E. stuff? Because I tell you what, there darn near every professional position out there can do IOE stuff. I mean, you know, during during a three day, we heard from Alexander. He's a he's an IT professional with an IO degree. You know, and and there are so many things that you can do just across the entire spectrum that an IO can be very successful in, and probably things that aren't even on that list yet. So if you want to go that route, that's okay. There is absolutely no one that can tell you otherwise. If you're happy with what you're doing, you're using the knowledge that you gained. I mean, that is fantastic. I mean, like my, my title is operations manager. I do IOE stuff all the time, but I am not called an IO at work. You know, and some people know I have an IO degree and I've had to explain it a couple of times because they're like, what's that? But beyond that, they just know I do my job and that's okay too. Yes, it certainly is. Um, and you know what? I don't have an IO degree, but as a director, I did IOE stuff all the time. Uh, Andrew, let's go to you. Thank you. I'm. Uh, I can relate a lot to uh, just kind of finding my niche and um, using my past experiences in addition to my IO degree to kind of develop, I guess, my own um, 
own way of doing things that can enhance a business. So I work as a business analyst with an IT consulting company. And so um, we're working with a lot of clients every day, like assessing their, their information technology needs, assessing their, their staffing needs. Um, so I might be, um, you know, conducting position analysis one day for a company and then um, doing a technical analysis the next. Uh, but one of the ways that I've actually uh, used my, my background in IO psychology uh, to enhance my job is um, taking um, bars, behaviorally anchored rating skills, which are typically used in um, like job performance and actually applying that to um, our IT assessments. So uh, having more clear examples of of, of what's uh, like best practice in a company, uh, what needs improvement and what isn't, um, you know, like what doesn't meet the standard at all. And so using that to actually, um, you know, have a, a standardized assessment form that we can use across all of our clients has been um, uh, really useful. And also just, um, you know, speaking up, you know, um, having a voice in our in, in our company, you, you don't have to have an IO degree to to um, push for and promote uh, some of these practices. Um, but I mean, having that um, creating a space where other people can have that voice is uh, also something I, I try to do in my role. Do you, do you think we're going to see sort of like yourself where, you know, I'd almost consider you a hybrid because you've got the IT and the IO. Do you think we're going to see more of that where, you know, it's not only IT, it's construction, it's manufacturing, that people are going to, you know, eventually have sort of dual degrees? I think that that's going to be a lot more common. I'm a big fan of cross-training. I mean, it, I feel like a lot of um, people today who, who are entering the workforce have a variety of skills and they want the opportunity to use them in different ways. They don't want to just be stuck in one role. Um, I, I mean, I know I found myself there, you know, like I, I had maybe seven years of nonprofit experience before I got into IT and then, you know, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do with that. But I feel like my, the, the IO degree really um, just blends all of that together uh, where I can just work with organizations um, help them, you know, with change management process improvement, uh, and figure out what works specifically for them. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And and if you are a student or if you're looking for uh, an IO position because you you've just graduated, uh, take this opportunity to reach out to some of the experts that we have on the panel today uh, and get some advice new and bring those questions to the floor. Uh, Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. Oh, we lost Dr. Matthew. Rich, you're up. Thanks. So actually, I have a question, if, if that's okay to ask for everybody. So the question, because we're talking about transitioning, right, is I have all this experience in all these different organizations that I've worked with before. Objections that come up are, well, you haven't worked in our industry, or you haven't had the scale of this that we're looking for. You know, small businesses, they say, well, you're not in touch with us if you worked for this huge corporation. And then inversely, the big corporations say, well, you've worked with small businesses this whole time, so you don't know how to scale up. Can anybody talk a little bit about that? That's a that's my question for today. So does anyone want to jump in there? <laughs> Can you restate that question one more time, Kurt so the question is, when talking with you, so we're talking about transitions and you know, finding our path and uh, on, on, uh, our career here. And some of the objections that I've personally come across, and, and then I've talked to other folks um, in, you know, on the IO path, and I've talked about this with other people that aren't, you know, that are just looking for jobs. You know, some of the objections of, well, you haven't worked in this industry. That's one, right? But everybody has to get started somewhere in some industry, right? That's one. And then the second is um, is scalability, right? So uh, again, like my examples, two examples that were very specific. Uh, um, you've worked with this size company, small companies, and you don't know how to scale up. One, two, you've only worked with these larger companies, and you don't know how to uh, um, know our 
personal and and you know of course everybody has the feel that they have uh very unique needs right so um so those you know the, those are the 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 two things that i thought i'd come with a question i don't have answers for them so i thought i'd ask this was, i thought it'd be a good group to ask can i jump in there tom you sure can okay so one thing about going from industry to industry is so many skills are transferable. And when I, like, for example, when I worked with, I had um, a sales team, right? And when you are in sales, you might work for five years with this product and six years with that product and so forth. But your sales skills are exceptional. And there's a difference between knowledge and skill set. And I will take somebody with an effective skill set any day of the week because you can learn knowledge quickly. So the industry is just knowledge and you can get that. Getting someone to have an effective skill set takes years. Getting knowledge takes a couple months. And so that's one way. Does that help answer that question? I love it. That's great. Yep. And then scaling up, you know, if you're in an organization, a very large organization, um, typically you're addressing doing a lot of the things departmentally anyway, right? So you're just duplicating it in different departments. It's very, it's not typical to do everything, you know, organization wide at one time. So learning how to, and so, and that will go for scaling up and scaling down, right? If you've done it in a large organization, you probably did it just in departments or smaller scales. You didn't do it as the whole organization, um, and the challenge there might just be some collaboration or integration and communication. But you, but if you break it down to the departmental or whatever group they're talking about, you've probably rolled it out at that level in whatever size organization it is. And so if it's a small organization you're work going into, they're probably the size of one of your departments, right? It's so that's the way I break that down. Thank you. Great, great, uh, great answers. I appreciate it. Uh, let me ask you though, Linda Ann, are are people still just people, and it's not dependent on the size of the organization? So, is the experience in a smaller company drastically different than the experience of someone in a larger company, or is it just the size of the organization? Well, well, people aren't different. You know, people. I think it's just how they experience frustration is different <laughs> in the size of different sizes of organization. You know, and how approachable the solution is. You know, in a large organization, it's like layers and just frustration of it's never going to change. Whereas I'm um, in a small organization, it's a little different. So uh, I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, it's hard to get people to listen to you, no matter the size of the organization. Uh, Doctor Oriana, let's go to you. Yeah, Tom, I also wanted to try and answer that question. I think that some of these things can vary greatly by organization size. If you're 30, doing change, communicating information, that's a little more straightforward. But perhaps there's luck, but there's some downsides, like perhaps less promotional opportunities from within, maybe less departments to weigh in and have different expertise. But then as you grow, you know, some organizations are 50,000. They're organizations within organizations. So that can have complexity and you can have to do geographic rollouts. When we think about culture, if there are different geographical locations by this point, then the culture of the organization can really vary. But I do agree with what Linda Ann was saying at the end of the day, as IO practitioners, we have this knowledge that there's going to be contextual factors that we have to tailor our consulting expertise to. So then we have to just introduce geographic rollouts, departmental rollouts. It's like, how are we going to deliver our services in a bigger macro scale or in a smaller scale? So there are certainly a lot of factors that can impact the way that we deliver our advice. But at the same time, those skills are transferable to small and large. At the end of the day, it's a lot of the same activity. It just can vary on how it's being applied and how other organizational stakeholders are being brought in. Thank you very much for that. Lee, let's go to you. Well, first, I want to point out uh, something that Patrick put in the, in the chat that, you know, if you if they can't see the vision, then that may not be the, the opportunity or the organization that you want to work with anyway. So that's always a consideration. Um, 
Because if you convince them to hire you anyway, but the culture and everything doesn't fit, you know, then you're not going to be happy. They're probably not going to be happy. You're not going to be as successful as you could be. Um, so the big key is when you're going into these things is, well, it's just saying in any interview is making what you say applicable to the situation and to be able to use the experience and give examples of the experience and say, okay, you know, I, I get it. I have not been in this industry, what have you. However, I've done some research and, you know, this, because, you know, I owe research, you know, come on. And so based on my research on this industry and this topic and this, you know, thing that you are hiring for or trying to get an insultant on, you know, insert answer here, here is how I can address that from experience that I've had in other industries. Yes, it's a different industry. However, this is a very common problem. And here are the ways that they're the same, you know, boom, 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 boom. And so you can almost do it like a use case where you go in there and, you know, because so, you know, you know, a lot of times when you walk in, you know, you're going to get that question. Well, you have no experience in this industry. How could you relate your experience? Well, I'm glad you asked. And so that you go in and you can tell them, you know, the stuff, because so much is the same from industry to industry. But if someone has never worked in another industry, they don't know that. And so then there's a little bit of education going on, which, of course, in and of itself, you got to be careful with, the, you know, don't come across as I'm teaching you something because um, interviewers tend not to like that either. Um, but one thing that, you know, IOs across the board tend to be pretty good at is connecting the dots and that's an important dot. And so that does require you to do a little, a little research on the front end of, you know, your industry and your organization have particular pain points that I've been able to identify. And I have education and experience and that I can directly apply to that problem. And here's an example. Uh, let me ask you though, Lee, because, you know, as an IO psychologist, I'm, I'm getting a sense that an IO psychologist could, you know, go for a job interview. They give them a little tour of the office. Uh, you know, you get to chat to a few people and then you sit down for the job interview. Do you want to go, hmm, you know, you've got a culture issue and I can fix that for you? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, probably not good out of the gate. Um, if they specifically ask you, what do you think you could, you know, you could point out some, you know, something, but I would not go, uh, yeah, the patient's sick <laughs> and I'm the doctor. Yeah. That's probably not going to be your best, your, your best sales thing. Um, but if you wanted to point out something that you, that you saw that's pretty in, you know, vanilla, pretty innocuous that you can actually show an observation that's not likely to be taken personally, <laughs> then you could certainly do that. Uh, but I would tiptoe very carefully around that, you know, initially. But if you walk in and you see the culture's a problem, I would be looking for the exits. But, uh, you know, that's just me personally, you know. I might try like the a house fire, you stay close <laughs> to the floor, just get out, you know. <laughs> I might I might try the, you really, really need me, and I started five minutes ago, and you're going to double what you're paying me. Uh, Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So a lot of uh, what Lee said was what I had thought about. Uh, saying so to echo a lot of what he said, going back to that question, you haven't worked in our industry. In my experience, my response has has been yes, that's true. I have not worked in your in that industry or or in that role. However, in previous roles, here's what I've done, and here's how I've applied those that toolbox of those IO skill sets uh, to other industries, other roles, and other organizations. For those who are fans of Ted Lasso, there's a line in in season two, I think it was where the main character is starting to doubt himself because he's in a role in an industry that he's not familiar with. And his boss responds and says, every disadvantage has its advantage. In that situation, the conversation talked about how that disadvantage of not being somebody who is experienced in that industry provides an opportunity to see things from a different perspective. It increases that diversity. It, it may empower innovation and new approaches that those who have been in that industry for a long time they're used to the the familiar, the we do it this way and that's the way that it works. But sometimes bringing in another perspective, somebody who says, hey, I've applied this, this toolbox of IO skills, these people skills, I've applied it here and here and here. And here's how I can actually bring it to you and generate, generate opportunity, generate growth. And, you know, quoting film and television is never a bad idea. Uh, it seems to work. Uh, Rich, let's go to you. Yes. So thanks everyone for chiming in on that. I, what I'm, what I'm kind of getting here, uh, if I, if I 
think I'm getting this, uh, is that we need to kind of figure out what the problem is actually for that organization that we need to solve, right? And then we need to use that either star method, right? Situation, task, action, result, right? Like, here's what we, here's what I did, and I can scale it any which way, right? Um, I, I, I remember years and years ago, I had a, a some job coaching and they told me, you know, have these hip pocket stories come prepared with, this is what I did. This is how I did it. This was the end result. Um, so I guess being able to, if I'm getting this from everybody correct, uh, it's, it seems this, the, the same thing works for us IOs is uh, the, the problem is there. It has been shared. We've experienced it. We have evidence. So use that evidence to solve their problem through telling, being able to be, storytellers let's go on again from this yeah and anytime you can share a story uh, it connects you if it's a shared experience it connects you with that listener right away and all of a sudden you know you're part of the same team uh linda ann let's go to you we, we during the the um the three-day uh, workshop or event we we talked about this a little bit about making sure that when you're you're looking for that job or you're in that uh interview to make sure that it's not a one-way conversation. And this gives you that opportunity, for example, when they say, well, you're not um, in our industry, you can start to dig in and just really ask them questions. Well, what's the what's the biggest challenge that you have right now? Or what, what challenge did the person in this job face previously? Or what was successful or what wasn't successful? Or what what is one of the goal? What are one of the primary goals you have organizationally for the next six months or whatever that is? And let, get them to talk about themselves, the organization, and really what they're trying to accomplish. And when they start to identify certain things, it's your opportunity to really dig in and get them to tell you what their problem is, that you know that you have some kind of solution. Now, you don't want to always just say, well, I can fix that that for you. Um, one thing that one way to go about it is to just say, um, well, what's your approach been before? Has that been successful? Have you tried X? In previous experiences, I've done X and that's worked out this way so that um, you can get your stuff in there without just um, coming in with your sales pitch. But what you're doing is you're matching your skill set to their issues, right? And so that's what you want to do is you want to say, okay, as you've got, you've identified this, here's the skill set that I have that works for that. And this is how I've used it. And you match that along the way. So it's a very, very um, interactive conversation. It's not a question and answer session. Nice. I like that a lot. Um, Dr. Destiny, I want to come back to you because as we're discussing developing a career path and, and IO psychology, navigating opportunities, what is the role of a mentor? Uh, because, you know, I, for myself as an actor, it was always great as a younger actor to have those older mentors who take you under their wing, who will guide you and give you advice. So, uh, you know, I know Seabock is doing a great job with mentorship, but what is the role of a mentor or how can a, a mentor enhance uh, this time as you're trying to nav- navigate and develop your career? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think if nobody put those two things together, they should absolutely put those two things together. Um, but a mentor doesn't always need to be there to help you get through a problem. A mentor can be somebody you can rely on at any given point. But, you know, what is the importance of a mentor? Well, don't you want to know the things to not do in order to get like, like we want, we want to use a mentor to guide us or kind of our trusted advisor, right? They work to basically give us advice based on their experiences, what they've gone through so that we don't have to, you know, go through maybe some of those hardships, or maybe we do go through some of those hardships and then we lean on them to help us get to the next phase. Or, you know, I use mentors to ask questions too. Like, I always want to know, like, am I crazy for thinking this? Let me ask somebody else. And so I use my mentors to kind of check me, if you will, um, and check my thought processes or also to get that, you know, additional perspective. And so people are, they, people want mentors. And sometimes I think the challenge is not knowing where to find a mentor or like, how do I ask somebody to be my mentor? I think you can approach it so many ways. You don't have to necessarily directly ask somebody, will you be my mentor? Um, because sometimes that can feel a little bit like, 
a lot for you and the other person receiving, because maybe they're not ready or maybe they don't think they're capable. A lot of that goes back to that imposter syndrome type of thing. So sometimes that question can be, but maybe use them as a mentor, even, um, how do I say, like kind of just through what they're sharing, right? Like use them to pose questions, maybe even in their content, like, oh, I've noticed this, like maybe ask a question that will lead to more insight. So think of them as like your insight you know, uh, touch point. Uh, and it doesn't always have to be like this direct exchange. Um, and sometimes a mentor doesn't even see themselves as a mentor to somebody else, but you see them as a mentor and that's okay too. That relationship is actually very healthy in most cases because there's no, you know, necessarily expectation. Um, and when there's no expectation, it's a very organic type of buildup. And so a lot of times, even in my own experiences of me being a mentor and me having mentors, it's been kind of an accidental like relationship building process where we've come across each other. We realize each other has something of value that we can like, you know, get from one another. And then it's just like mutually beneficial exchange. And so think of like my people that have come to me for mentorship always become my mentors crazy to believe it or not. I'm always like, wow, like, I didn't know you knew this too. Like, or you're better at this than I, or, you know, there's so many like realizations you have. So oftentimes your mentee will actually become your mentor um, and can be your mentor. And I want everybody to think of this, every single one of you who is listening, who's here today, who's like considering this, uh, like any, in any situation can be a mentor to somebody you have gone through things, experiences, life experiences, exchange, engagements, interactions that you can always share with somebody else to make sure that they don't have to go through that same thing. Or maybe you want them to go through that same thing. So you share that too. So food for thought. Well, let me ask you this too, because you mentioned the imposter syndrome and what is the mindset for someone who's just got their degree walking into that first job interview? You, you know, you don't really have experience yet. Um, but what's the mindset you have to go into that job interview with? Mindset is everything. Mindset sets the tone. It sets the tone for how you talk about yourself and your skills. It sets the tone for how you see and translate those things to others. Um, so it's really important. You know, one of the things you can do for yourself is to equip yourself. And I talk about this a lot. I talk about, you know, giving yourself the due credit, that DUE credit that you deserve for the things you have done, the hardships you've gone through, the skills you have gained, like you really have, you have to own something, right? If you own something and you believe something, think about how you talk about that thing to somebody else, right? And that is a lot of mindset. Do you have to be fully confident? No, like, no, not at all. You don't have to be fully confident, but you have to know that even if you aren't fully confident, that you're capable of getting them to where they want to go because you are hungry and you're eager and you are capable of learning. You know, I think so many times we go through this uh, idea that we have to show up and know all the things, all the things. No, in every situation, in every job, in every industry, there is a learning curve and it's embedded into like the, the process. Like the other side knows that there will be some learning curve. And if they don't give you that grace, then once again, you have to ask, is this a place for me? But it's important to recognize that. So one of the things, practical things you can do, um, and I've shared this a little bit, is kind of map your skills and your competencies and the, and, the, and the experiences you've had to some of these roles that you're seeing. Like you can even make assumptions about these roles, right? Because like oftentimes they give you very little information to go off of. So based on what you're seeing or know, or do some research, do some market research and say, I know that I've done these things in the past and I can map them to what they're asking for. And so you can, and when you build a map that way and you make these connections literally for yourself and you see these connections and you visualize them and you talk about them, even if it's in your own head or in your own shower, when you're like, yeah, I'm awesome. Like I did this one thing this one time and you're taking whatever you do to like make those connections for yourself. It helps so much, not only with your confidence, but it helps you and your self-marketing and your self-promotion whenever you're trying to go in for that interview. And it can absolutely help with your mindset. So if you do yourself a favor and be your best and biggest advocate and cheerleader. And I think if you do that, you will be successful because you will believe it and others will believe it too. I'm going to call you when I need coaching. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Linda Ann, let's go to you. So I think 
one of the things that people uh, might be helpful for people is to understand that the recruitment space is, in, is a very weird place right now. And it's, you know, people are using all kinds of uh, scanning tools that are missing people with real skill sets that are a good job match and all those kinds of things. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, is that they're using job descriptions as job postings. And and, and as, Dr., uh, as, as, as Dr. Destiny said, you know, you don't work for them yet. So the expectation that you have all those skills in their specific job description is unrealistic and just lazy because they want to have a plug and play. Like I'm hiring to you today and you're at full scale um, tomorrow. And that's just unrealistic. So my thought for you all is if you are at 50% or more for any given job description, okay, apply for the job. And um, unless if it's a job post that has these are the required skill sets and there's like four or five and then a couple nice haves, then be more closely uh, aligned with that. But if it's a job description, if you've got 50 percent or over, go ahead and apply. The other thing, too, is when you get into that interview, it's about establishing that relationship. Right. Because one of the things, again, as, as we talked about a minute ago, Tom, it's just people. Right. People are people are people and they want to work with people that they can relate to, that they can have a good communication with, that they have a feeling that they're understood. So part of that can be if you have a a gap in your repertoire that they're looking for, that can sometimes be overcome by just establishing that really good communicative relationship in that interview. So. don't underestimate yourselves. There you go. <laughs> I hope we get this right. Ishmeet, we're over to you. Thanks, Tom. You got it right. Hi, everybody. Um, Linda, and your point was just uh, before I was raising my hand, I have actually worked as a recruiter. I have primarily been in the talent acquisition field. And um, I guess that's primarily been my only experience, I would say, as an IO. Um, and I'm looking for a new role right now because I got laid off a few months ago and it's been a challenge, the least to say. Um, And I'm listening to all of you talk and it's amazing how um, I feel excited that, you know, I can use all this language. I can convince somebody about my skills and get that industry knowledge, you know, as I go along. But my question is, how do I show that in my LinkedIn and when I'm applying, when my resume is getting in front of people? Because To be honest, I've applied to more than 80 jobs right now in the last four months. Um, And anything and everything has been primarily in the talent field. So job titles that don't necessarily say senior recruiter, which was my last title, but it says anything in talent acquisition, talent development, assessment. And it's a straight no. I don't even get to the interview stage. Something I just read um, on LinkedIn yesterday, which was very disheartening, that because of the current market, you need to have 90% or more of exact match for what the company is looking for. So how do I go around that? Thank you. Dr. Ariana. Thanks so much for sharing with us. That's a hard journey to go through. And just want to validate that a lot of people who get on the job market, especially applying through LinkedIn, there's so many applicants and it can take longer than we're often told to get a job. It can take up to six months. And so just want to validate that. It sounds like you're doing a lot of the same things right, though. The only suggestions I have is just making sure that any skills you have on your LinkedIn or in having a well-crafted bio that highlight those skills, if you can share any key experiences. But I, I also just wanted to share that during the pandemic, I was laid off and I was feeling in the same boat. And during that time, it took me seven months to get a job, which was a little mind-blowing. So also just bring in that compassion piece for where the economy is and how many people are hiring versus how lean they're running. But I have confidence that you're going to be a great addition to a team, hopefully very soon. And if you uh, do know of an opening or position, give Ishmeet a call and (laughs) let's get her working. Um, Linda, this might be a question for you, but I'll invite anyone to jump in here. Let's say that, you know, I'm an IO psychologist just out of school. I've got a communications background. So I got hired in the communications department. I get to use those IOE skills. But what I'm really noticing is that the organization 
actually needs an IO. How do I, once I'm, once I'm on the inside, how do I actually get the organization to move in a direction where they enhance HR by including IO psychology? <laughs> well, I guess I'm not going to cruise through this podcast. I guess. Nope. <laughs> You're my target. <laughs> um, I, I think that I would initially, it depends on how you're seeing that manifest, right? And go to, um, that's going to take a little time. It's not going to be, oh, well, let's, let's bring that up next week at the meeting. Um, it's going to be one of those conversations where you're going to have to work the room on a regular basis, the people within the room, that decision-making room, and help them understand. I would do a, ground, a grassroots kind of education process. So that, right. So that you start helping people understand, oh, well, if you have somebody who can do this, that will solve this problem and this problem and this problem. And you know, they have that problem. And then you're over here saying, okay, I, did you know that there are people who will do X and, and, and work that room until they're like, oh, we need to get somebody who can do some of these things for us. And I would work it that way. You know, that would just be my style. I might get in trouble on this one. How safe is it to talk to HR about IO? Because if I was an HR professional who wasn't current like you are, I might think that IO is coming in to replace me. Well, here's where the psychology part comes in. (laughs) (laughs) And it needs to be about how do I make you more successful, right? How do I get you to achieve those goals that you're looking for to make you look good? I mean, that's the best way I've seen to have people buy into something. Again, do you want to, do you want to get, do you want to be, do you want the credit or you want the change? (laughs) Hmm. Let me think about that one. Uh, All right. Um, So Dr. Destiny, um, I've noticed that the chat's been quite active today. Um, Have you been keeping an eye on that and what's going on? Yeah, I have. I've been sharing a lot of tidbits because uh, I really love the fact that one, we've had a lot of different voices today. So that makes me really happy to hear and to get that perspective. I like the questions that are being posed to the group because I think it not only keeps us on our feet, uh, which is important, but it it, gives, it keeps us in tune to what's relevant to what we are sharing with each other and with the larger population and how we can like work together as a collective community to make it easier. So I really appreciate that. But in the chat, a couple of things that came up, you know, um, particularly like how do we connect the dots and how do we optimize, you know, how we are present online and in an interview, you know, I think it goes back to, we get very, you know, Human beings, and it's probably a good thing in some cases, can be very literal, but very analytical at the same time. But when you become very literal, you know, very black and white, like this is the boundary that I have when you, for example, how many of you, and I know this, we've all been there, have seen a job, come across a job where we're like, oh my gosh, and we can see ourselves in it and we visualize ourselves in it. We're like, that's the best job. I need that job. That job is my job. It obviously has to, you know, that is for me, uh, right? And so we get to that point. And when we see that job, what happens? We become extremely laser focused. We only see ourselves in that job. And so we take it very personally. And sometimes we become very laser focused and opportunity is presenting itself around that job, but we're just not seeing it because we're very literal and we're very focused and we're very, so it's really, really important whenever you're doing these things to do a couple of, to, to create boundaries for yourself, right? Like. This is a job search. This is not like my, this is not who I am. This is not my identity. This is a job search. And that I know that I am capable of this job. That job sounds awesome, but so does this job. So does this job. And while we're doing that, we maintain the eye on the prize, which is to accelerate our own self, right? And to like make impact. And so the way to do that consistently is to optimize the way that you are being present on LinkedIn, for example, You know, that one little summary that is on your LinkedIn, you all like that is, I call that your prime real estate to be you, right? That is your prime real estate. Um, That is like, if I had to tell a story about why I am the most awesome at this one thing or this one, like this is why, or why I'm so passionate about this thing, that's your prime real estate. You connect the dots there for people. Um, And then maybe to think of like your um, experience, say that you don't have those 
IO specific job titles, which very few of us do. And those who do, let me tell you, we become the we, we become many other job titles too. <laughs> My job titles are like IO psychologist slash psychometrician slash consultant slash manager, like, cause that's what they do in organizations. But if you think of it through the lens of, let me take my experiences that I've had and let me very much tailor those experiences to the IOE things. Think about how much transformation you do for yourself and how to optimize And then you can start building your own credibility, your own expertise, and your own content sharing through those same lenses, where if my focus is to get to this job that I see myself in and all this stuff, let me continue to showcase myself. So in the chat, we've talked about how to optimize the LinkedIn profile, um, using those roles, you know, to, to be consistent. And then always, you can do yourself a favor too by always aligning what you're talking about, how you're showing up with industry trends. Like our field is very trendy. And we t- I talk about this all the time. What, I mean, like look around, like what are we talking about? Very trendy topics, very important, relevant, trendy, trends of the workforce topics. But at the end of the day, we always go back to those foundational things, right? And I talk about that all the time. What are those trendy topics missing? You know, we're always talking about communication and like resilience and like within those topics. So what you can do is keep up with the industry trends, but always keep it foundational. And if you always keep it foundational in those industry trends, it it helps. It helps to kind of create and navigate that conversation for yourself in in a way that really showcases your ability to keep up, but yet be relevant all the time. So just think about it. Like if you're Put yourself in the shoes of these people who are creating these roles. And maybe you have been there. How would you find somebody that you want in that role? And then become that person they want to find in that role. Well, let me ask you, it's almost a follow-up question because I want to talk about, you know, trendy new things. Um, You know, and all, like I say, I think we have over a hundred niches now, but we started to talk a little while ago about artificial intelligence that, you know, here's a new field all of a sudden, you know, where IO psychology is really needed. So are there other sort of, you know, up and coming, because every time business or technology changes, it's almost like a door is open for IO psychology. (laughs) This is something brand new. We don't know what it's going to do. We better bring in an IO psychologist. So are there other things or can you, especially if, you know, you're younger and are just coming out of university, can you spot some of those trends and establish your IO career in something brand new? Absolutely. And I love the IO AI crossover. I feel like, you know, if you, if you're so caught up in this, like, oh, well, I don't know what this means for our field. It means so many truly amazing things. You know, what do we get trained to do um, when we're going through our master's and our PhDs is to ask really on good questions. And guess what trains AI? really daggone good questions, y'all. Like that's what, and so, and then on on top of that, right, we know how to read the data. We know how to, and the other part is, um, and I've talked a lot about particularly this AI trend, um, which it's not just trendy, it is, it's happening and it's gonna, it's gonna continue. But there's always this concept of we need to keep a human in the loop. And what is our field about? Human, right? The human behavior in the workplace. So regardless of AI, regardless of the trends, there will always be human in the the trend, the future of the trend, the future of the workforce, right? We're always talking, when we talk about work, we're talking about humans. And yes, there will be AI, but there will be some sort of human engagement and interaction within that too. So there will always be a need. And if you do keep ahead of that stuff, not only do you become, you know, interesting to people because they're like, oh, wow. I'm not saying this is like something you have to do, but if you are like very, if it's, if it's something that you have a calling to talk about and talk about it, like, you know, some people said, and during the three day event that are, you know, it's hard to show up in our field because our field, it feels like when you go on LinkedIn, you're seeing a lot of people that are like putting out really good, like, you know, it feels inundated almost like there's so many people out there that are talking about so many amazing topics and like, who am I? The point is, is that our field is so broad, you are never going to step on the toes of others. Like, you just can't go ahead and try. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's hard to do that. (laughs) So you will always offer a unique perspective. Just remember that. I like that. Vegas, nice to see you. Let's go to you. 
Hi, good to see you all again. So um, I think an interesting question that I wanted to throw to the group. Um, first of all, I agree that Iowa is such a broad topic and I'm to a stage where I feel like every business leader, every HR professional, anyone can benefit from having foundational IO knowledge. It's just so powerful and so helpful um, in the world that we're in right now. So the key here is I believe that the work I've been doing the past 10 years in HR and talent management, I have used a lot of the IO methodologies and the concepts. With more education in here, I want to build a career where I can do more of that. Now, the issue is I don't think the corporate world or the market is well-educated of what that means. So even if they have a role and I'm like, I think that's IO, they don't know that it is IO and they don't think they need IO and therefore they don't want IO. They want their HR operation, legal, whatever. And then I go, no, 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 that's not it. So I think there's some discrepancy of like, there's a lot of catch up and education of people wanting to do work in that because they see it's important. And corporate business leaders are not well-educated. I mean, they should listen to this podcast more and they'll get more educated. But before that, yeah, how do we bridge that gap on education, educating employers? So that's the first part. And if you don't mind me, one more question is I would love to hear practical examples of, you know, speakers from today. If you can share with me your thought process of when you first started developing a career in IO, like what process you went through, like what was going through your mind and all that. That would be really helpful um, for me to have like a clear kind of plan. Thank you. And we had just enough time that um, I think we can do a bit of a roundtable. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. I think I am going to leave the first question for the rest of this group here. Um, I'll just say on that one that some business leaders can be convinced and are open-minded to hearing about how well IOs can interface with their organizations. And some are probably just going to continue looking for what they set out to but on the second question, I like to share this experience just because I want to get a little real with this sometimes. And for me, my journey into IO was a bit long and winding. I believe it's a challenging field to break into in some ways and that I just want to acknowledge that. And in my experience, I'd have a lot of different internships and fellowships to gain experience before I was ready to or others thought I was ready to take on that full-time role. I think it's because IO does touch a lot of high importance things. And you can also be in front of clients and organizations want you to be very ready for that. So I took some internships that were internal and organizational development that were more consultative, helping companies look at their high, high turnover rates and helping design exit interviews. I think that I had probably five total intern experiences in fellowships that built my expertise over time. So if you are someone who's in grad school, I would recommend you seek some of those out over summers, especially and things like that, because it took me gaining all those experiences to then eventually be hired full-time and have all of those really concrete experiences to talk to. So I know that that's hard and that there's a bit of a hustle factor involved at the front end. But I will say that it gets much, much easier once you get that full-time job, you will have value. And then hopefully, once you get into the career of IO, it'll be a bit more smooth sailing along the way. So I'm intrigued if any of my other presenters feel similar, but it's a bit of a run and a jump, but then hopefully you will be very happy in your IO career. Dr. Matthew, let's go to you. So... I kind of want to echo from what Linda Ann had said a, a little bit back about grassroots conversations um, and following, adding on to that, to uh, leading by example in your current roles. So for the question about bridging the gap for organizations to see the benefits uh, from, from IO um, resources and tools, whatever role that you're currently in, when and where you can, start applying those IO skills to improve your performance, to improve your team. Um, Undoubtedly, positive changes will start. Positive changes will start to emerge. This could lead to senior leadership, HR, others that start asking, "What are you doing? How are you or your people performing this or increasing that? Whatever it may be, um, that's your opportunity. That is your open ticket." Well, let me tell you about IO. In my experience, in my previous role, I was working as an operations manager with a financial institution, and that's actually 
a lot of what I did to start bridging that gap into that IO role. I was still in my education and I was applying a lot of those skill sets to how I operated, how I managed the uh, the production, the performance, but how I led my team, how I led my people. And when people start to perform well, you start to see positive cultures emerge. You start to see development, excitement, energy, engagement. It's going to catch the attention of others in that organization. And they're going to start to say, what's going on here? And like I said, that's the perfect introduction. Well, let me tell you about IO psychology. There you go. How's that, Vegas? Is any of that helpful? Great responses. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, these people are pretty smart. Um, <laughs> Dr. Dusty, um, let's get back to you. We're, we're, we're just a couple of minutes done. Once again, this hour has flown by. Um, any final thoughts or should we move on to uh, what's happening over at CBUC? Well, just a final thought on, once again, thank you everyone for sharing and engaging. And yes, I do believe that every single an IO that you talk to will have a windy <laughs> journey. Um, you know, and most of us uh, kind of like I have fallen into my niche cat, like specialization by accident. Um, and so I think that also happens too. So I think it's okay. You know, there were things I know that I'm good at and I, I maintain that you know, that very targeted approach, but my specialization was totally by accident. So uh, I feel like just keep that in mind and be open to the possibility because sometimes once again, we become very, we, we kind of close off opportunity when we see something that we're very focused on. So with that in mind, lots coming up. Yes, Tom, you're right. So once again, if you're looking for the three-day experience, um, you know, videos and podcast episodes, please stay tuned. We are working on those behind the scenes or we are a small team, as many of you know, and we're growing and we're very excited about the growth. So, but with that, some of those technical things take time. So be patient with us. In the meantime, you can still download a workbook. So if you didn't get to attend, there is a workbook that is like about 40 pages of guiding you through a journey basically of the three-day experience. And it's something that you can use in the future. Uh, go to the CBOC website. It is there um, to download. And then the next thing is uh, we're going to continue these kinds of conversations that almost follow up from the three-day experience. So we want to be able to continue that. Um, and part of that continuation is, yes, if we want to do more collective things to educate others as to, you know, what IO psychology is, number one, keep in mind that we're still in August. It is still IO psychology awareness month, y'all. So if you haven't shared, <laughs> keep sharing. I like to kind of target those posts to share about like why hire an IO psychologist, right? And then you get to like, once again, insert your definition into people's understanding. So use it as an opportunity, tag CBOC, tag us. We are very ha happy and to support you. So that's the number one thing. And then understanding that the follow-on conversations, um, there will be a monthly catch-up from that three months to keep the momentum, keep the drive alive is what we're calling it. And in addition, these Thursday podcast recordings are still open to the larger community. Um, next week, we'll be enhancing interdisciplinary connections, integrating IO psychology with related fields. And we talked a little bit about that during the conference. And we have some people here, even like Matthew, uh, doc, who is not necessarily IO PhD, but has a PsyD. Um, and so there's, a, and there's other fields that come to these things. So keep that in mind. You know, we do have... Uh, interconnections here, not necessarily from IO, but even from like applied psychology, sports psychology, organizational development, all these things. So, and they're all very interconnected and related, and we can all support each other in these journeys because we kind of experience the same-ish things. Um, so keeping that in mind, um, I'm just excited. We have had a lot a lot of amazing feedback. Um, yeah, have we had some hard feedback? Sure, but that's that's healthy too. And we're really happy to get that feedback because it makes it better for you all. And it makes our mission and like community belongingness and just awareness like even better. So please keep that feedback coming and please continue to share um, and, and just be present for one another because it there's so much power and support that come with that. And those things build your confidence those things make you thrive because you have support. And what's better than having built-in support? Like, you know, not a lot of things are better than built-in support. Some of us women can tell you about that, right? Like, so, yes. Uh, so built-in support is always good. So 
food for thought. But thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And and remember, you don't have to take the journey alone. And that's why CBOC is here. Uh, and with that, uh, Dr. Destiny, if you want to count us out, we'll see everyone in one week's time. Yes. Thank you so much, everyone. In three, two, one. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Don't forget to sign up at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At cboc.com.